I am Dracula. Last time, we told you some ghost stories. So we thought in this episode that we'd take you on another gothic adventure. A trip we took a few years ago to Transylvania, the birthplace of Emre's mother. That was ostensibly the reason for our journey. And indeed, we did visit some of her old haunts, and I was introduced to Emre's extended family. Actually, just one family member, Yulika, who lives in Cluj. She'd set us up in a little apartment there, and it was our home base in Romania. But we quickly hit the road and began to explore the Carpathian mountain region. I don't know what happened to the driver and my luggage and... Well, and with all this, I, I thought I was in the wrong place. I bid you welcome. It was my third trip to Transylvania the first one having been a pilgrimage with my mother in the 90s, on the tracks of her childhood and youth. Cluj is the place where she met my father through the Romanesque and dramatic circumstances of the war. My mother was Jewish, and if not for my father hiding her at the French Cultural Center, she probably would have perished in the Nazi camps like most of her family. The historical center of Cluj had not changed a bit, and after more than 60 years, she could still find some graffitis she had carved on a big wooden door when she was a kid. She had taken me to a place nearby called the Hoya, where she said wolves were howling in the long winter nights. Children of the night, what music they make. My mother was and remained a super superstitious woman all her life. Transylvania, where she had grown up, is a traditional land of legends and hauntings, ghosts and vampires, which is a common point with the Hudson Valley region where we live now. I was happy to take my petite amie on a pilgrimage of this pilgrimage. Somehow I feel I belong there. And in fact, I picked my pseudonym of Imre after my grandfather's name, Imre C.K. I was very excited to learn about Imre's cultural heritage, and I wanted to bone up in preparation for our trip. For part of my research, I decided to reread Bram Stoker's famous novel. Dracula is an epistolary novel. That is, it's entirely made up of fragments of letters, journal entries, even transcriptions of medical recordings made on wax cylinders and transcribed by Mina, the fiancée of Jonathan Harker, the British solicitor who visits Dracula in his castle in the mountains. I'd read the book in my childhood, but rereading it now, I was struck by the weirdness of the way the story's told in fragments, all carefully transcribed and typed by Mina in an effort to document the strange events. The funny thing is that Mina does all this documentation even after she gets bitten by the Count and starts to develop some symptoms. But at the end of the text, it's Jonathan Harker who signs the manuscript. Of course, Jonathan Harker is a fictional character, and it was really Bram Stoker who wrote the whole thing, 
But I find it interesting that one might go so far as to say that Jonathan Harker vampirizes Mina's editorial labor in the process of creating this fictitious, cobbled-together text. Before turning into the figure of the world-famous vampire, Prince Vlad III was a historical character who is still revered in Romania for having resisted the Ottoman invasion back in the 15th century. His local nickname was Draculea, which in Romanian means the son of the dragon. He was also called the Impaler, for it was his specialty and cruel delight to impale the Turks once captured. Not being Romanian, I have much less sympathy for this sadistic, resistant figure than from the vampire Bram Stoker made of him four centuries later. Vampires are night birds, except instead of going night clubbing, they go wandering in the dark, probably as a symbolic attempt to reconnect with life. The blood is the life, Mr. Renfield. The paradoxical thing is that what vampires envy and miss in the principle of life is its promise of an end, i.e. death. The most terrible curse that's set upon them is that they are not allowed to die and enjoy eternal rest in the grave. Each day at twilight they emerge from it until the break of dawn, when they must hasten back to their tomb before the rooster crows. We people sometimes dream of eternity. Vampires crave for mortality. They are also known for being sentimental fools, romantic wanderers, sometimes falling in love with the young creatures they suck the blood of. Also in the common imagery, they are represented as bats, some species of which in South America do exist under the scientific name of vampires. Since my childhood, bats in general have been on top of my hit parade of animal creatures. They fly around silently in the summer night. A legend my mother was convinced of is that they love plunging into women's hair and getting entangled there. In French, the name of a bat is chauve-souris, which means bold mouse. Don't ask me why. Sans faire de bruit, 
Il me donnait son avis sur les chauves-souris Au douze coups de minuit en village endormi On revenait sans un bruit comme des chauves-souris But back to our trip. There was a telling moment in our travels when we arrived in Magura, a picturesque village near Bran Castle, which is supposed to have inspired the Dracula story. Magura is really spectacularly beautiful with stunning views of the mountain ranges and the valleys below. As soon as we arrived at our charming hotel, we went out on the balcony to survey the scene, but almost immediately I got a distressing text on my phone regarding a professional communication back in New York that had gone awry. I scrambled to try to resolve that, to Imre's understandable consternation. There we were, in the stunning Carpathian Mountains, but I was getting sucked back into the maelstrom of my stateside mini-dramas. When I looked up from my phone, I realized that Imre had stalked off into the wild terrain. It was dusk, and when I stepped out to look for him, all I could hear was the sound of creatures howling at the moon. I was convinced they were wolves. When I finally found him, he explained that he'd had it with the vampiric control I seemed to be under, tethered to my cell phone. The next day, as if by magic, my phone battery died. No way to recharge it. Naturally, at first I was entirely disconcerted, but... Once I was forced to go cold turkey, I must admit that an enormous weight had been lifted. Yes, there are many forms of vampirism going around these days. If I had to name one, maybe the emperor of them all, that would be Google. And the whole new set of made-up addictions, maledictions, we're unconsciously being sucked by. From my experience, it seems to me that there were times not that long ago when a human being could survive on Earth without cell phones, internet, 5G, etc. It also seems to me those were more peaceable times and spontaneous too. If you decided to be out of reach for a while, the decision was yours. It's not the case anymore. Wherever you are, even in the most hidden valley of the Carpathian Mountains, you are connected. Just when you start meditating about the beauty of life, there comes the click of a text. Your life belongs to the others. I wouldn't dare to call them suckers, of course. There were some other interesting things I learned in Transylvania about the possibility, or perhaps the menace, of eternal youth. Imre had told me about a face cream his mother had sworn by, Gero Vital. There were ads for it all over the place, with pictures of a guy whose face was split in two. The left side haggard, pale, and wrinkled. The right side dewy and ageless. When I investigated it, I found out that the scientific research for this cream, which was ultimately banned in many countries because of its potential toxicity, was funded by none other than Nikolai Ceausescu. Apparently, his wife was a big believer in Gero Vital. 
Actually, Elena Ceausescu was more than an adept of Gerald Vital. Being a famous chemist herself, she financed all the researches and elaboration of this so-called miracle cream. That makes a common point between this witchy spouse of the dictator and my mother. She believed as much in the beneficial effect of Jarovita as she feared bats getting entangled in her hair. As you cannot find this product in France, she had it shipped by my cousin Yulika twice a year. The truth is, until the age of 95, when she passed, she had many fewer wrinkles on her face than me today. Actually, no wrinkles at all. You wouldn't have believed it. So maybe you would have believed in the effectiveness of Gerovital. Finally, after having crossed the whole country, we reached the shores of the Black Sea in Constanza, a very old city where the Romans have settled for a while in the 15th century. We spent a beautiful afternoon wandering through Ovid Square in Constanza, a place full of ancient monuments and stone tributes to the dead, some extremely touching. On one of those stones, the engraved words were addressed to the passerby from many centuries ago. This day in Constanza, we were the passersby. It made us feel like passing the message along through a song. There's one other legendary figure from the region who's also associated with the idea of eternal youth, a sort of female counterpart to Dracula, although in her case, blood wasn't the drink of choice, but rather a tonic to be bathed in. Elizabeth Bathory, nicknamed the Blood Countess, purportedly slaughtered hundreds of young proletarian girls in order to bathe in their blood ostensibly to keep her own dewy complexion. Not to say that I take any pleasure or pride in there being a female legendary bloodletter that rivals Dracula in her rapaciousness, but it was the Count, also known as Nosferatu, that Imre decided to immortalize in his own way, in a song. Actually, Nosferatu didn't need me for that. He was immortal by definition.
to travel. My petit ami and I, being fellow travelers, we've explored many of them, trains and boats and planes, including, sometimes, the so-called artificial ones. This kind of traveling is commonly called tripping. We'll talk about one very specific trip next time. Next time. 